lightweight women's double skulls. An exciting boat class, this. The combination of Paulus and Head back in Poznan in 2016. Here in Poznan is where the world best time was set. That benchmark, 6.47.69. Marika Kaiser and Ilse Paulus for the Netherlands. Possible favourites here in this race. Silver at the World Championships. European champions of 2018. It's all changing around very, very quickly as the Dutch move forward. This Dutch combination coached by Jozy Bedongskot, possible favourites in this boat class. Yeah, I'd say they're favourites, Pete. They've come through the regatta, improving at every stage and qualifying the fastest time here. They've got the favoured lane in the middle there. You just see the bower, Marika Kaiser, looking over to her left to see how she's doing compared to these French. I thought we were starting to see the Dutch pull away, but the French just not letting them go here. 34 strokes a minute to the Dutch, 36. We'll be yes. telling through this third 500 how, uh, that, how that pans out. I was thinking the same thing, Pete. The Dutch had gone away with such a, such a burst in confidence there, but France have reeled them in. I think the Dutch got out to a length over France, and then France have come back on them. So that move to, to potentially get away from the rest of the field didn't quite turn out in that respect. Yeah, coming through 1500, this Dutch Joe Marika Kaiser and Ilse Paulus will go through in first place. There's nothing to split the other medal positions because Italy, Romania, France pretty much level. So I think they're starting to wind it up early. They're sensing the pressure for the small medals here with the Dutch still over a length out in front. Yeah, the Dutch still holding on to that length lead, Paulus and Kaiser. Well, we're coming out to 250 metres to go. Nobody's going to touch the Dutch, but it's anybody's guess as to who's got silver and bronze here. The Belarusians trying to get back in the action. We're up over 41 for the Italians and Romanians. Kaiser and Paulus will continue to lead. This is a great performance from the Netherlands. Ilse Paulus, Marika Kaiser leading the way for a championship title here. But it's anybody's guess for silver and bronze behind them. We've got just under 100 metres left. And the Dutch are going to take the gold. European champions for the lightweight women's double. Celebrations in the Dutch boat, rightly so. Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome to another awesome episode of The Row Show. As always, it's myself, Lawrence Britton. And it's Jake Green. And today we have an awesome guest on the show, Olympic gold medalist, Ilse Paulus from the Netherlands. Um, Ilse has uh, made her trade racing in the lightweight women's double. Recently, she's been competing with Marika Kayser, uh, achieving silver medal at the last uh, World Champs. And yeah, Lawrence, one of the, you know, we don't speak to a lot of lightweight rows, so it's a great to get some, some more on the show. Yeah, and I mean, every regatta madness, every hype train, the lightweight women's double is on top of the list of uh, races to chat about, races to talk about. And it's really flipping awesome to get another lightweight woman on the show to talk about. You know, we've had Zoe McBride back in the day. Uh, so if you enjoyed this episode, maybe go back and, and listen to that one because that was also a cracker. He also really came into lightweight double and did shake up the formula, but she she wasn't definitely not one of the, the favorites going into uh, that event in Rio and for her to come around with a gold medal it means that she really got a lot of things right and I think her partner Micah Head struck really good rhythm and really good boat feel going to that regatta and I think you know a lot about speaking to Ilse was me learning about the experiences that other boats lead into maybe the boat that you find yourself competing at a high level and for Ilse that was a lot of time in the lightweight double even some time in the eight and obviously a lot of time in the single skull so it's interesting to to see how these different boats come together and lead to a performance like the Lighty Double in, in Rio. Yeah, and I think my favorite part, I mean, obviously we get into the Rio race and we get into the racing part of, of, of her career, but we also got into this other, other elements of the double and, you know, teaming up with... Uh, uh, all these different partners, you know, now she's moving in to, uh, to row with Marika Kaiser, and it's been really exciting to, to, it was 
awesome to hear her speak about that dynamic and how to get that dynamic right in the double. You know, we we touched on that with um, uh, Chittle Borsch uh, about the double and about getting, you know, a lot of uh, direction in the double and a lot of crew dynamics. So really, really interesting and very cool to to get into that. And yeah, I think apart from that, think that's uh, you guys got to listen for yourselves yeah for sure you know Lawrence and I have been on rowing camp together and uh, you know things up here are starting to get heat up a little bit we have you know, the Olympic qualification looming over us and of course the Olympics are a massive you know a massive event on the horizon that we're both working for so we're actually on camp up in the mountains of Lesotho high altitude training and yeah it's been really good to us so far the water's been flat um, doing some really good training. It has made us uh, somewhat busier. Hey, Lawrence. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's 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 been a, a really rough uh, few weeks, you know, just getting up here and, and getting used to this uh, intensity of training and also the altitude makes everything a little bit more tricky, but awesome. And that's kind of uh, what we've been missing since March last year. You know, we kind of just skipped a whole year because March last year, we were on this training camp, we're getting ready for the games and then... Uh, bang COVID uh, just disrupted everything and pushed it on that year so now we're back March 2021 basically the same place and and just starting to build up into the the Olympic season and I think it's going to be awesome when racing starts you know you've got European champs coming up soon we've got um, uh, late qualification so it's it's all starting to hot up and it really feels like uh, we're getting back into into rowing and back into kind of the, the that Olympic feel and maybe seeing the, the the other side of COVID and hopefully starting to see the end of that uh, that tunnel. Definitely. And, you know, I hope all the, the athletes out there that listen to that, that your preparations are going really well. It's always a struggle. And, you know, if everybody out there has had to make a serious amount of compromises and a lot of changes to the way they do things. So, you know, if you listen to this out there, just, you know, stay, stay on it, uh, stay in there, stay hungry. Uh, we'll definitely get through this and hopefully see each other overseas. Yeah, and even if you're not racing, just uh, getting back on the water, getting back into into that boat, and and you know I'm sure a lot of people spend a lot of time outside of the boat over the last year. So just uh, yeah, keep that chin up. The hopefully everything will start uh, settling down and getting back to normal. I'm sure there will be another wave, but hopefully people are starting to get that vaccine and it's uh, things are starting to settle down. On the other side, uh, you guys, if you want more rowing, if you want more content from the row show go over to our Patreon account to to support us there. Uh, our Patreon account has been amazing. We've done some some really cool stuff there, really trying to uh, build up that that support, which has been amazing. And then also trying to, you know, decide how we run our tiers. And we've done some really exciting stuff. So not only do you get early access if you go onto Patreon and you support us, but we're also doing some cool stuff with our top tier where you, uh, you can actually listen live whilst we record. Uh, so we had uh, listeners listening in and uh, and joining into the the live recording, which was really really cool, and yeah, lots of other stuff there. Anything else there, Jake? Yeah, you know, we're also looking to develop some exclusive content for you know the, our subscribers on Patreon to reward them for their continued support for the show. But you know, all the everyone else there, you can also support us on Instagram and you know just go in and like and review the show. It makes a massive difference to the algorithm that rules the interwebs and gets our a name out there and that always makes a huge difference and of course please get in contact with us we always love chatting to you and listening to your feedback and you know just listening to your suggestions for the show they they're always fantastic for sure and i think that's enough of us babbling on and i think let's get into this episode please enjoy guys enjoy welcome to the road show we're your hosts lawrence Britton and jake green 
And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about rowing. In South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks yeah, down barriers. Yeah, right. My passion winning to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. Sacrifice, role, Compassion. Great. Passion. Fiction. Gold. Ultimate goal. Glory. Relentless training. Pain. Pain. <laughs> Awesome stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, we are really excited to let you guys know we are chatting to Ilsa Paulus today. Ilsa, thanks so much for your time and welcome to the Row Show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, awesome stuff. So we're going to get straight into your own career and we're going to start off with just having, you know, having a chat about your under 23, your under 23 racing. And uh, what's quite interesting about it is that often I, I see like, you know, under 23s, you usually go there and there's the focus is is on one event, but I see with you um, in 2013, you know, you went to under 23s and you raced two events and that must have been quite interesting, especially um, at, as a, at an earlier part of your career. So, you know, chat to us a bit about, you know, racing at under 23s and, and what that was like. I guess you're right. Um, it's not a common thing that we do to race two events, um, but I think in that point in time, we had um, a relatively young, new group of ladies who... Um, we're all basically in the subtop and they're like we're really developing a new women's team ready to take to take over after Rio basically just to build up the new squad um, so I guess the, the coaches want us to give as much racing experience as we could so I actually wrote a quad and an eight so I did sweeping and uh, sculling in the same uh, same event I think looking back on it we maybe should have stuck to one but in the end it was really quite fun and it's 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 I think as an under 23, it's also you just have to get used to racing, have a lot of fun doing it, and just um, take the chances you have. Yeah, and I think especially early on, it's actually it's I feel like it's it's good for the experience getting multiple races in in uh, one regatta because um, I feel like that that would probably serve you so well going forward, um, especially you know as a lightweight. You know, you have to deal with extra pressure as being a lightweight with like weighing in. Um, so I feel like the extra pressure added on racing two events and multiple disciplines, I feel like that probably just uh, lent itself to the, you know, the event you're going to end up racing in at Olympics. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would yeah. say uh, try and stay away from lightweight as long as you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really make it more enjoyable, I have to admit. Yeah. No, like I, I would say, especially as an under 23, um, if, if you're a really natural lightweight, then, then obviously go for it. But I would say in that stage of my career, at least, I I really appreciate it also just having fun. Like, you take it seriously, obviously, because you train hard and you do next to studying and you work really hard, but also there's an element of still, like, not that much pressure to perform this. Uh, there's an element of fun, of just enjoying enjoying the sport without being an, an elite athlete, and that's also something you need to cherish. Yeah, and I mean, oh, that's just it's it's really cool. And I mean, it must have been just the most intense week having two events, and it's not like a long drawn out uh, senior world champs where it's a whole week of racing. It's I mean, under twenty three is usually only you know three or four days. So I mean, that must have been chopping and changing. And then like, how was it changing from the eight to the quad? And like, was there a lot of adjustment happening there, or or and and was it your whole quad that was in the eight, or was it just you or, or one or two of you? I don't fully remember, but I think it was my full quad who was in there. Maybe one one or two weren't, but I think it's a quad and a four uh, that were combined in the eight. Um, and I think in that year we had quite a disappointment in our quad um, because we raced 
two years beforehand with three out of the four girls in the juniors category, actually, in the same quad, um, one in silver. And then um, we all did, did a different thing. And then by chance, actually, go back together for 2013 and really uh, eager to uh, turn that silver into something, <laughs> something better. Um, but um, we had, I think, in, this, in the, um, the preliminary, we had a, uh, our boat was underweight. Um, it was a mistake, a miscommunication by one of the coaches. Um, and uh, so we were placed last in the heat, obviously. And then uh, in the repassage, we drew a really, really um, uh, unlucky lane. Uh, so we didn't actually make it into the final. Um, so in the end, like having another event to, uh, to race and to set your mind to was actually quite, quite helpful. And uh, in the end, um, made the tournament. <laughs> Mm. And then, so then you went from this kind of enjoyment and uh, maybe a fun, a fun year of rowing to quite a serious year the next year where you stepped into the, the lighted woman single for the under 23s and then raced at senior world champs for your first time as well in the lighted women's quad. Um, so what, uh, what was the transition like into the, into the single and, and, and yeah, how did that, how did that go? Um, after, after that 2013 season, I was a little bit on like a breaking point in my career. Like either I would stop being an athlete um, because I didn't really see myself growing uh, to be an elite athlete in the in the heavyweight category. I just I just lacked a little bit of physique, basically. <laughs> so I I given myself like one try. Let, let's try lightweight for a year. Let's see if I can make the first ergo test. Really. Uh, it was like in February. Let's let's see if I can make that weight for that ergo test, and then see from there. So it really was like a, a testing year for me. Still, like I had not been lightweight before that. Um, I, like I was in the range, but I wasn't wasn't actually. Um, I've, I'd never weighed in before that point. So I just gave it a try. It was like either I quit or I'm gonna give it my all, and I'm gonna try if I can I can make it as a lightweight. Um, or I'm gonna do other things basically. Um, and then that turned really quite quickly into something very successful yeah um yeah like in my single in the live single i went really well that season and our um, national coach said to me yeah i want you in the quads also for uh, the world championships in our own uh, in our own backyard really in, a, in the bosman amsterdam so i couldn't say no to that um and i had a month preparation in between the two yeah, um, but yeah, I won. I won gold in both events, so in the end, I would call it quite successful. No, definitely, and I think you know for yeah. for you know for I feel like when I look at your results, that definitely seems like a, a the the step up year where you you went from under twenty threes, you kind of got to the to an introduction into senior rowing, and then you know the following years you got into the Olympic um, the Olympic event. But I'm really interested because so in London you can see that you know the the Netherlands raced a lightweight double and then there there seems to be a focus shift in the the Netherlands lightweight women's team where there's this quad and I'm interested to to hear you talk about the quad like what was the the idea of of shifting you know um, a bit of a focus to the quad was it a, a development boat to try get some more you know lightweight athletes um, more experienced because. You guys race at uh, 2014, and then the the switch in 2015. Obviously, it qualifies you. The the lightweight double comes back into the foray. So, chat to us a bit about that, and you know what was the what was the quad like? I think the most important key point was uh, Josie Verdongsvat returning to the national coaching staff. He came back in 2013, I believe, 
Um, so he basically built up the women's program uh, again um, and started building up the lightweight women's program also. Um, the girls who raced in 2012 were really quite on them on themselves. They had to arrange a lot. Uh, they had to find coaches, had to find funding, and they really weren't like they they were appreciated, of course, but they really um, they weren't really part of the team as we are now at the moment. They were more like they had to be more self-dependent. Yeah, independent. Um, yeah, and I'd say from from the moment Josie Verdongsvold came uh, and built up the women's program. Um, he he just really wants to start with a big group of lightweight girls and develop, uh, give everyone a chance to develop uh, themselves and um, then see who would be the best to to, to race in Rio. Um, but I think at that point we were still at five and like five serious contenders for a double in 2014. That was yeah. So. I mean, okay, so you had this awesome, awesome year in, in 2014, you, you under 23 world champion, you senior world champion. I mean, there's not many, uh, there's not many athletes uh, out there that can say that they, they have that. And then the next year you step into the double and it's, it's quite a tough year and it's, it's quite a difficult year. Was the, what was it like coming into the lightweight double? And I mean, obviously now it's into an Olympic event and was it, um, you know, how did, how did that transition going and, and and what are your expectations at the beginning of uh, 2015 going into the lightweight double um i'd say i i underestimated what it means to be an athlete every day um and have that as your main profession i studied uh next to rowing in 2014 and then in 2015 because i was now a member of the national team i i stopped my studies and was like a full-time athlete um and it just took me a while to get used to that, to really uh, make a step up to, to turn your whole life into being an elite athlete. Like, and, and just every aspect of it is in, in, in focus of rowing. And I think that's, that was quite a challenge for me in 2015. Um, at that point I was still quite inexperienced. Uh, I, I, I'd done some junior and N23s, but I wasn't really, um, ready yet for elite level. Um, or at least not, not in the, in the top, to be at the top, basically. Um, so I, I'd, I'd say 2015 for me really was like a year to to switch between under 23s and uh, and elite level, and it's, it's given me some some uh, valuable lessons. No, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure you guys learned. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm sure you learned a ton uh, going into to 2015, and especially uh, going into the into the boat. Um, with uh, Mike ahead who had so yeah. much experience mm. and so much time in the double and I mean it must have been a really cool um, experience having uh, someone with that much experience and you just learning uh, directly from them and, and spending all that time together um, so it must have been a, a, a really really cool time and then if our if our research is right you were studying medicine and then you came back to studying medicine uh, later after after a few years there yeah yeah, I, I I took a break to go to the Olympics, basically. Okay. But, uh, yeah, to come back onto your point, I think Micah uh, is, is was a brilliant teammate because she was so experienced. She just really uh, took me by the hand and guided me through my first uh, World Cups and and uh, World Championships. Um, so yeah, she's she's been a phenomenal help in that year. Yeah, um, we didn't get the result we wanted, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it must have been, but I mean, to think that coming 14th at the World Champs in 2015 and then going on to win Olympic gold in next year, it's actually unbelievable. That's a fantastic meteoric rise. And what yeah. I want to know is, what was the shift 
in your guys' training? What was the shift in your attitude that went from a 14th place in World Champs to then winning um, your f- winning uh, European Champs the next year? And then, you know, you started your first World Cup off with a fourth, which obviously is not in the medals, but, I mean, it's, it's a final, and you're right up there with the mix. So chat to us about that shift, and, and what was it suddenly like going from – um, racing in B finals to suddenly you are now in the pack and in the front. <laughs> yeah, it raises eyebrows, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> yeah. Now I, I definitely understand. I know it's quite it's it's quite peculiar. Um, I'd say that it's 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 two sided. Um, on one on one hand, we really underperformed uh, at the World Championships in uh, in 2015. Uh, Mike was actually still studying until a few, also medicine, by the way, uh, until a few weeks before the regatta. Mm. And I was figuring out how to be an athlete. So we really didn't get the best out of ourselves in that regatta, which we call it the result a little bit. Um, but we also we also felt this belief in, in, in each other and, and in ourselves, honestly, that we could do better. So we just really went into the Olympic year with, we're going to do the best we can. We're going to have fun doing it. And um, we'll see where where we stand because we've got not much to lose <laughs> at that point because we weren't qualified. Um, so I think it's, it was like the shift mostly was um, just holding on to the belief that we had in, in each other and in the project and our coaching staff and uh, just get the work done really. And then, um, yeah, we just, we just found the click that worked for us and um, made it work time after time. But honestly, like, I still can't believe that we pulled it off. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's something that makes the lightweight rowing so exciting because yeah. you know, like you saying, it's it's uh, certain raises the eyebrows. But you know, our own lightweight team, uh, our lightweight double in 2014, I think they came also 13th in uh, in the World Cup three, and then went on to to race at the Boss Barn and come first and break the world record. So I think yeah. because the because the athletes are so close together, like physically, if you have a bad day, yeah. you get very easily yeah. shut out the back. And if that happens yeah. in a semi, then you yeah. your result then really uh, falls off the oh, off the yeah. page quite quickly. Yeah. Exactly. In our, in, in our case, it was the quarterfinals um, where we finished third or fourth or third or something um, and missed one sport. And then you don't even have a chance of a B final anymore. So I, I think you're absolutely right that lightweight racing is so close. And also having the element of having to weigh in, like mm. sometimes you have bad luck sometimes something happens as in it's just it, it makes it even more um precarious really to to perform at your best in a in a regatta and there's more elements here than just yeah going, uh, yeah, salt line. yeah. <laughs> no it's amazing and that's i think that's what makes uh rowing so exciting and 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 so different to to a lot of other sports so then Going on, then you 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 come through into the next year, and obviously you you found your groove a little bit more. You guys are a bit more comfortable in the in the boat, and you're enjoying yourselves a bit more. And then you, but you still haven't qualified for the Olympics, and you still have to go through uh, late qualification. And uh, I've raced late qualification mm. and, and missed out. Jake has so went, raced late qualification through, and got through. So uh, tell us about your experience at uh, at the the regatta of death. It's terrifying. <laughs> it is no terrifying. One there, honestly, like. It's, I thought it is like, yeah, <laughs> it's also a weird setting because it's like a Tuesday morning or yeah. so. so you, like, it's in Lucerne most of the time. So you go to the rowing course and everybody around you is just going to work as if it's a normal day and you're about to race one of the most important races of your career. That's and then there's almost no spectators. It's, it's a weird regatta. Yeah, we yeah. raced, we raced our, our final on a Monday. 
That's that was yeah, the day. Exactly. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever I don't think I've ever been so worried about catching a crab or you yeah. know missing a stroke, taking a fresh stroke. It was like for me it was less about the ability to do it. It was more about making a horrific mistake at some point yeah. in the race. Yeah. Exactly. Even if you make it, you just like you've got this constant worry of forgetting something or something breaking. I, I really, really recognize that. It's not about actually racing at that moment anymore. It's like trying to prevent making mistakes. Yeah, it's terrifying. It really is like the last chance. I think maybe that's yeah. where that pressure yeah. comes from. It's like, you know, all the other places they are to qualify, like, yes, that's where you want to do it, but there is always something else later. Yeah. And then, yeah. then during that regatta, there is nothing else. And if you miss that one race, then it's it's game over. Your whole year exactly. is gone. And yeah, exactly. And all your hard work's gone because you're two months before the Olympics at that point. So you've put all the work in already. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd say it was more of a, like getting through was more of a relief than anything. Yeah. That's, <laughs> but on the on the flip side, crews that make it through the, the late qualification are, are, uh, often have so much momentum and like so much... Uh, yeah. confidence mm. going into those last two months yeah. that they actually end up performing really well. I mean, yeah. most crews yeah. that qualified late qualification can uh, generally make an A final, I would yeah, say. Yeah, well, also one late qualification and Olympic champion, so that's nail on the head yeah. there. It's, it's really quite funny because our coach did that before in 2008, with also with the lightweight double. <laughs> they weren't qualified here before, won the qualification and then won the Olympic gold. So <laughs> yeah. maybe, like, I wouldn't recommend the route, but <laughs> <laughs> if you can make it work in your advantage. Of course. So, But before we get to the Olympic Games, then we have to go on to, to World Cup 3, where now you've qualified for the Olympics, things are going really well, and you just cap off the kind of pre-season or build up to the Olympics by by setting the, the world best time in the lightweight women's double, which uh, must have been a, a, yeah. a pretty cool moment for you. You can't dream it, can you? Like, <laughs> really, just win every race and then also top it up with a world record. No, not, like, I did not expect that at all. Did not see coming. We even, like, doubted a little bit if we should go to the third World Cup because uh, going through... Uh, um, Olympic qualification which is just quite stressful and you really build up to that moment and then after that you've accomplished it but like life goes on you still have to do the Olympics so it's really quite a weird period in between the two um, so we doubted like do we go do we not go in the end well we decided to go uh, and just go and have a, a, a last race before the Olympics um, and I'd say during that final uh, like it went really well um, but we didn't do anything out of the ordinary that I recall, as in we just executed the plan that we had. Um, I was in the bow seat at that point, so I just gave the calls that we agreed on, and yeah, just we just rode a race as we as we wanted to do that and as we had planned. And then I didn't realize we were quite that fast until we crossed the finish line. Yeah. And uh, um, like I, I looked to the right at that really big screen, and I was looking at it. I was like six forty-seven, and then I was just like. I thought it was 6.48, you know, I didn't, I didn't really, <laughs> it took me a little while to realize also. Yeah. And I feel like you raised, you raised such an uh, important point there talking about the third world cup is that you're saying that you didn't do anything special. It was, it was just, yeah. you know, you just executed an ordinary race plan. And I feel like when, when we speak to elite athletes, that is such a strong point that comes across with these big events, especially the Olympics. It's like expecting something to be different when you get to the Olympics or a World Cup A final, expecting the mad something magical to happen, 
it's not going to happen. It's not going to be perfect. There's pro- you're probably going to feel worse than what you've probably felt before because of nerves. So yeah. being able to execute just an, an uh, you know a really good race, but doing it in yeah. like in an ordinary fashion, like you just uh, said, is like so important. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd love to hear how you guys look at look at that because I'd say for me, races are mostly just like you just repeat what you've done in training countless times before, really. We often talk about like the Olympics or like a big race. Um, it's like it's just there's it's just a normal race, and you've done so many races before, and it's just got this like kind of circus attached to the race. And it was really yeah. nice for us going into Rio because we had a lot of the lightweights that had won gold at London, and then we we kind of learned a, a lot from the the older guys in the team. And then also we we try and make like I think we're the big focus of making training more difficult than uh, than mm. racing because then when you get to racing you like it's obviously it's hard and the nerves and everything is there and it's it's real but at least you know that you've done training that's harder than what what you have to go through in the race and I think that also makes a big difference Definitely. to to how you feel going yeah. into a big competition yeah. like that yeah you just feel ready mm. yeah I guess yeah I want to go back though and just dig in on that world record a bit because. You know, when we when we do, especially when we do our our episodes around regattas and around uh, uh, like uh, we uh, we often do like a recap over a world champs or a world cup, and you know, the lightweight women's double is a, an event that is constantly really really close to their world record. Like often uh, rowing within one or two seconds of the world record, yet they haven't really managed to to push it out any further. Where you whereas like some events like uh, men's heavy fours, you know, it doesn't come within 10 seconds of their world record that often. So, yeah, I just chat to us a little bit about like the, the pace of uh, the lightweight women's double and, and why you think that the, the record hasn't been broken again. <laughs> um, <laughs> why it hasn't been broken again? Um, I, it's, it's a difficult question, I guess, because I think to, in order to row world records, there's more, you need more than just a really good crew. There's, there's more um, factors that play into role, like obviously weather, weather and, and water conditions. Um, and also like the moment of the crew, as in how, how have they prepared for the regatta? Is it just one that they want to get into the books and, and try, and out, try out some, uh, some race plans or whatever? As in, there's really a lot of combinations that need to come together. Um, and I think especially in our rowing, there's a lot of crews that are up there. Like I'd say there's, there's, there's six, seven crews that are really getting close to world record base. Um, so the differences aren't very big to start with. So, um, yeah, I think it, it's difficult to, um, to get the perfect situation for a world record to really break it. I'd say it just, it just almost, it's almost luck. On, on one on one occasion because there's so many crews that come so close and have the capacity to do it but they need a perfect situation basically mm. <laughs> i thought yeah, you were just going to say that mind. that you just set such yeah. a fast world record <laughs> and no one else can uh, no one else can get it oh, yeah. well, <laughs> well it's been like it's been in- increasing with like two tenths of a second and then three tenths of a second like it's i think in the last last five years or so there's been eight world records within a second and a half or so yeah. as in the really, the really, the, the differences that are being made are really, really small. Yeah, it's really. Or I, I always love uh, looking at the the percentages after regattas and and seeing how close people are getting but to to the world records. Also, just from a yeah. training perspective, I mean, we use we use the prognostic sheet. I'm sure a lot of other you know countries. I can't can't wait for someone to break the lightweight women's record because 
all the time lightweights are on top of the sheet and it's killing me. Either that's or the, the reality <laughs> is I'm just a trash yeah, rower maybe, and can't get up there. Maybe Jake needs to just yeah. uh, row a little bit harder. <laughs> just need to row a bit harder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't really have a lot to say to that. <laughs> yeah, so, so I mean, yeah. So we, we, we're going to move on to Rio and like, you know, we've spoken about Rio to so many different people and we've spoken amongst ourselves and it's like, when we chat about the, the Olympics at Rio, there's so many different moving parts. Um, and I, speaking to a lightweight now, um, you know, the weigh-in has got to be one perspective that we, we haven't really spoken too much about. Like we've spoken about the weather with a lot of different crews, but we haven't speak, <laughs> spoken about like the, the, the cancelled days of, of racing and the multiple weigh-ins for the, for the lightweight athletes. So that must have been a different yeah. nightmare. So, you know, just starting off on uh, the Rio experience, maybe chat to us a bit about racing and then like how did you deal with the, those uh, multiple weigh-ins? Yeah, it was quite tricky. As in... Um I, I, you kind of forget <laughs> after after a while. Like you only think about the results or think about something. So you kind of forget about all the the fuss that was about the changing the days and and the weather and everything. Um, but I think looking back on it, we just we just took it as it was. Honestly, as in we just accepted, just yeah, going into your mode is just accepting that we couldn't do anything about it. Um, and I would say, like, the moment you accept it, you can move on. Um, so, yeah, like, yeah, just take it day by day, honestly, and, and be ready to race at any moment. Uh, and if not, then also find that um, off switch button again and uh, prepare for the next day. So I'd say what mostly helped us is just not stressing about it and just mm. taking it as it comes. But, I, yeah, it was, looking back on it, it was quite tricky. <laughs> No, very yeah. how you want it, and how not how you mentioned it, but I, I'm sure you both of you uh, recognize that. Mm. Yeah, it's like it's really simple, but it's a difficult thing to get right. Yeah, like there's something in your agenda for years. It's like one date, and then the date changes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think that it makes it worse in rowing because in in rowing, uh, compared to other sports our chances of competing against each other are very limited. Yeah. So like at the Olympics, <laughs> it's a lot of pressure on, on the athletes, you know, to get, you know, get the th everything right. Yeah. It's, uh, oh, the Olympics is, is really crazy. And like, uh, when being your first Olympics as well, what was it, what are like the, the big, uh, things that, that, uh, I don't know, affected you or that you noticed going into, to an Olympic games? I'd say before I went to the Olympics, um, and I don't want to break the magic here, but like the Olympics were one big myth. You didn't really know what was going on behind the scenes. It's like a bit mysterious. And then actually being there and seeing that everybody is just doing the thing, being focused on, 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 on their competition. And also the regatta just being in like, basically it is normal regatta as you know them from, from rowing before. Um, I'd say that was my biggest eye-opener. So as a, you just expect something magnificent and then it's actually just basically what, what normal. Yeah, <laughs> I don't you know how to describe it else, any, anywhere else. But yeah, did you have the same same experience? Yeah, definitely. And actually it's, it's even smaller because the, the regatta has way less people than like a, a big world champs or, yeah. you know, yeah. it's like it's, 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 it's just got the top the top dogs and there's not really much, you know, there's, there's less racing, there's... Uh, smaller but then on the olympic side of things it is monstrous like i mean we are, i still cannot believe the like the scale of the olympics and like how big yeah. 
the yeah. teams were and how big the food hall is and everything is just like 10 times bigger than I thought it would yeah. be and like it yeah, just yeah. Yeah. yeah and there was like yeah. a lot of prep going in from like the older athletes like not to get sucked into that side of things like don't kind of you know you're there for the business you're there for, to race and and don't kind of get distracted by like the this just the sheer scale of the of the yeah. Olympic Games I think that's the best advice you can get, especially in a week that you're racing. And then, like, you always got a week after that or a few days after that to enjoy it. So I think that's a really good advice. I must say, the, the one thing that was, I found that was quite mind-blowing about, you know, the Olympics was the the event itself was like, it, it felt pretty normal if you took take away the Olympic badge. It was, you know, like yeah. I said, a smaller regatta. But the, yeah. the athlete's village, that was absolutely insane. No, and insane. you spoke about the, the, the food hall, but... The amount of different people from different nationalities and, you know, just from around the world, like I, I, I've never seen, you know, people from around the world like that in one place. It was, it was crazy and everyone's walking around in tr- uh, tracksuits. So that was very cool just to, you know, see and, and, and interact uh, to a certain degree with like the people from a completely a, a menagerie yeah. from around the world. That was amazing. And like uh, different oh, yeah. different sports as well, because like yeah. sometimes, you know, like you get kind of used to, you go to a, a, a world champs and it's like you're seeing all your 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 rowing heroes. You know you're seeing Ilza walk around and get on the water. And you're like, oh, cool. And then uh, you're seeing you know the I don't know the the, the German eight or whatever. But now you're getting to the Olympics and now you're seeing like those your heroes from all the other sports as well. Like uh, yeah. you you know you're seeing yeah. Bolt, uh, uh, Djokovic, and it's just, it really is uh, yeah. eye opening to be like yeah. in the yeah. same place as them. I fully agree. Just like, also like how athletes come in all shapes and sizes. Mm. I'd say like, rows are mostly quite alike. Um, but then just seeing all those athletes from different sports with different, different bodies and different uh, preparations. And yeah, no, I totally, totally agree. That was awesome. So yeah. let's get back to rowing though. So what were those first uh, the, like the heat, uh, the heat, and your and your semi like at uh, at Rio, and and what and like you guys seem to just kind of hit your stride and you know go through through all the steps, nothing nothing too dramatic uh, going in through into the into the final. So what was the the, the first few days of uh, of racing like for you in, in Rio? Um, I'd say like the first few days of actually being there before racing started. Um, you really need to settle a little bit. Um, you really like, especially as you, you just gave the advice, don't get sucked in. And that's a little bit what, what you're tempted to do because you're, you're overwhelmed and you suddenly have to have this feeling that everything needs to be perfect. Every session needs to be perfect. And so I would say like finally getting to race was almost a relief because you could just do what you were there to do for and not worry about um, other things. Um, oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, we just went into it. Like I'd say, the days before were more stressful than the actual races. Um, but the, the the races itself, yeah, we just took it again a race at a time. Like you need to get through the to the preliminary to get into the semi, you need to get in through the semi to get into the final. So really thinking steps ahead isn't really going to help you, I'd say. So we really really took a, ra- a race at a time and and analyzed every race. Like what can we do better, and and took that on to the next. Yeah, awesome stuff. And then. Getting into your, your final uh, race at the Olympics in the A final, um, you know, you guys had been really dominant in the heat and the semi, and I'd say the final is probably the, the closest other crews came to actually beating you. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I was in the rest 
So, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to hear you speak about your, your final race and, you know, what was it like and what was your what was your plan? I mean, you guys, you know, went out and you were in the in the front group uh, for a long time and then you managed to put yourself, you know, uh, give yourself a bit of a lead going into the end of the race. And then China and Canada came with a monstrous sprint. So that must have been a, a big focus at the end as well, making sure that you secure the lead. So I'm interested to see how your pers- perspective of how the race unfolded for you. Um, yeah, it was definitely not our best race of the season. Uh, I think our signature almost became to just go out and, and push your boat in front and, and keep it there, especially like from the halfway point on. Um, and now we had lots more uh, people that went out fast um, and that challenged us through the first thousand meters. So it was a different race than we were used to, basically. Um, but I think going into this Olympic final, you know, it's, it's, it's something special. So you need to be aware of people trying or, yeah, it's just, it's just magical one race or so. So you need to be prepared for people doing something different than they, than they used to basically. Um, and it was definitely like, it was not our best executed race of the season. Um, but I'd say we were still pretty confident going through especially the halfway mark like you just sometimes just feel that you've got the 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 power over others or so like even though you might not be in front you just have this feeling that you you can you have the momentum you can go get them um and that if you do push you 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 get closer so we had that feeling throughout i would say the middle of the race the the whole time we might not not have been in front but we just felt that we had the the overhand basically Mm. Um, and then sprinting was just like, yeah, let's just go for it. It wasn't pretty anymore, but <laughs> <laughs> I think just based on character, there's no one gonna was going to pass us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the only thing I, I remember thinking. It's like it's not gonna happen. They're not gonna get through. And then becoming <laughs> the moment becoming an Olympic champion. That must have yeah. been amazing feeling to to know that you had won a gold medal at the the biggest sporting stage um, in the world. Yeah, it's, 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 I would say you really value that a little bit later, actually, as in, in that moment, it was just like, it's, you, you, there's lots of, um, there's lots of things happening. Um, we had swimmers coming to us. We had lots of, lo, lo, like lots of press, lots of, there's lots of people wanting something from you because you've become Olympic champion. Um, so you're really like, I would say the first few days after winning that medal, you're really being liftful. Basically you're being taken over by others that want something from you. Um, so of course we were, we were super happy and like you wake up the next morning with a gold medal now you're next to your bed and you just think, well, what just happened? Yes. <laughs> today <laughs> mm. um, I, I recall that but on the other hand like, I think it took me a few weeks to really um, understand and settle with the idea what it meant um, because in those first weeks it was just like it was just one big chaos and one big golden cloud basically like being on television and things like that like we rose normally aren't so it's really <laughs> it's really one big happening and I would say the moment for me to realize that I've been became an Olympic champion came a bit later. Mm, awesome stuff. And then, yeah, I mean, you, you t- spoke about the, you know, the swimmers uh, after the final, and I've actually noticed that's, that seems like it's, it's quite a, it's quite a, a Dutch thing to do is, you know, have the swimmers that's part of the, the rowing culture there and, you know, chat to us a bit about that, but also I think this is a, a good segue to, you know, to speak a little bit about, you know, the Netherlands rowing culture and how is it different to, you know, a lot of places from around the world? I'd say we, 
are quite relaxed, laid back in a, in a way. Um, uh, we, we do not have a, uh, as strict of a program as some other countries might have, as in we have a little bit more freedom to, to fill it in, I, I'd say. Um, and that's also one of the strong points, I think, of, a, of our program, because we've got lots of athletes that do studies or work next to their job, not, not in the direct preparation before the Olympics, but in the year, years before that. And there's there's, there's there's space to do that. And it's, yeah, you are helped doing that, basically. Um, you, you're supported. And I guess it's quite a, one of the strong points of our program because by allowing athletes to do other things next to their uh, rowing career uh, and build up a, uh, a career next to it, you I think you tend to keep people, keep people um, longer in the sport. Um, and also just get get more out of them if if you allow them to also be challenged differently basically mm. uh, maybe not everybody wants that but i think the people that do do need a bit of extra challenge or other um other experience next to rowing um in that way we're, we're i would say the dutch system is really good at supporting those athletes and therefore like if you can keep them in the program longer you can just get more out of them and mm. use their experience and etc Definitely, and then do you guys? Is it is it all one big team, or do the do the different uh, boat classes or, or or guys and girls train separately to each other in 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 your team? Um, we've got one main location. It's at the Bosban. Um, we also have the Olympic training centers there, so we have a weight room and uh, like uh, medical staff, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all uh, all in one place. And that that's our base for the whole team, uh, women and men. Um, and then the different groups do have a little bit of a program going on like the men uh, often row somewhere else um just to be able to do more long endurance stuff because the bus plan is only 2k long yeah. so especially in a men's age you just keep turning yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really uh, <laughs> yeah, make I, me very happy so, and we all and uh, a part of the women's team also trains uh in a different location in the winter also for for more long endurance um sessions um but the bus plan really is our is our main base and especially the women's team, we um, yeah we, we we mix really well between both classes. We're really one big team, and we, we support each other, we help each other, um, row, row together, uh, train together. Yeah, oh, that is that's really awesome. And is the is the boss barn your favorite rowing course? <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's not as idyllic as some other places might be. But on the other hand, I do, it doesn't really feel like home. <laughs> mm, yeah. It's, it's I I like racing there. It's always interesting, and uh, there's always a, a little bit extra excitement racing uh, at the Vosbaan. Although I've been on the the wrong side of of the excitement a few times, which is not very nice. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, like the Vosbaan, I was quite like it's it's quite unfair most of the times. <laughs> I'm not really allowed to say this, but. <laughs> we all know. We all know. Um, yeah, it's not a. I don't think it's a very it's well, a very kept, well secret. kept secret. No. Interesting, interesting races, but like I like I've rode at the bus band since I was I think twelve or thirteen or something. So I have a lot of memories there, and, and therefore I really, uh, really value it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So then. Moving on to to the the twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one Olympic cycle, then obviously a lot of uh, a lot of things changed, and you know you uh, it's very different looking at uh, at twenty sixteen cycle to to twenty twenty one cycle. And first of all, what was it like coming back in 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 twenty seventeen and and having to to find a new 
uh, a different crew, finding a, a new a new partner for the double? Um, I'd say like 2016 really quite happened to me um, in a way that I came to the team quite late. I came to the team in 2014 and then everything happened really, really quickly. Yeah. So like I just came to the team late and then it <laughs> basically. So I'd say in, in this Olympia leading up to Tokyo, I've been way more there from the start and uh, for the build up of those four years. Um, luckily, um, we had lots of talent waiting to to take over. Um, and I think our, our head coach, uh, Yossi, managed that really well to get people in line, uh, ready to, uh, to to give them a chance, basically, to for, for the new double. Um, so that, that that wasn't really my, my efforts or my, or my choice in, in a way. I think he, he really thought about that in advance to... Um, get people in the right place at the right moment. Um, and yeah, I think I've, I've been there now for five years. It will be the fifth year building up and it's been, it's been a totally different experience for me. Awesome stuff. And you know, it's 2017 also, I, I can't help but notice, you know, you get, you get uh, into a new double combination with America and you guys actually have a fantastic, you know, you race the European champs. That would be the only time you race together in 2017 getting a silver yeah. medal with a new, you know, new partner at, you know, European champs must have been a fantastic feeling. And then on top of that, the rest of the year, I am, I'm interested to hear what you were up to because it seemed like you took some time off. Um, was that because you went back to your studies? Yeah. Yeah. This is one of the things I, I had at Rio. Like I, I couldn't, I'm not the type of athlete that can be totally focused on rowing for four years. I, I do feel the need to do, uh, to work on my medical career in this case. Um, so I did about two and a half years in total, no, two years in total of um, medical studies in between 2017, 2019. Um, and that was, yeah, that was for me, that was the, one of the most important things to be able to carry on basically. I, I'd say if I wasn't given the opportunity to go back to my studies for a little while before returning to rowing, I would probably not have been ro a rower anymore. Um, I've chosen to uh, just keep studying. So I'd say I owe it to a lot of people uh, that supported me uh, throughout these years to, to combine the two. Yeah, it's, it's really and awesome. We, yeah, we made the best of it from the moments that we had together. Yeah, it's it's really cool to hear you speak about that because we also just uh, interviewed uh, Jevy Stone from uh, from America yeah. and she's also uh, as on the, the, the medical journey uh, and how would they do that i have no idea yeah i mean i must say i <laughs> <laughs> i is not i like to have other things going but i yeah. as soon as it gets so hectic and and something like medicine is is a real undertaking you know it's the only, it's it has its own olympics and uh it's yeah, it's really awesome to to hear you speak about that and 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 how you you have these two goals going and and having to to manage balancing both of them is is really really impressive yeah, definitely. I guess I guess if you have a passion for something, it, it comes quite easily, really. But you you must recognize that also, as in, <laughs> if if you have things to do that next to your own that you're really uh really keen to do, like a podcast, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. It, really does, like, it, it really does give you give you energy back, also. Definitely, yeah. and it's such a nice distraction as well. Like you gotta have time yeah. away from the boats, from the the physical demands of 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 rowing, and especially like you know, rowing is, is so physically demanding and so tough and like you have to be on your A game when you're there. So I think being able to to switch off and, and, and find something else is so important because if you're always just thinking about, 
uh, rowing and the and training, then it's I think you you you're gonna burn yourself out quite quickly. Mm. Yeah, I, I really agree. I'd say if rowing is the only thing you do every day, then it just colors your day too much. And and sometimes it's nice to have a window window outside into uh, the real world, so to call it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I'm also just staying on 2017. Like, what's what is the you know you take time off to do your studies, um, and then obviously you can you can see from the results. You know, 2019, 2018. You know, 2019, 2020. You you're still rowing. What kind of physical kind of training do you do when you took that time off in 2017? Did you take a lot of time actually straight off and not staying active, or was there a you know were you still staying active to a certain degree? Yeah, I just tried to stay active as much as I could uh, and fit it in with my schedule, really, just before and after my days in the hospital um, as much as I could, but also just accept sometimes that, it, that I couldn't. Mm. Um, so I, I, I really, my goal was to keep my base fitness up um, and to be able to allow myself to get back to into the team and get back into uh, good shape when I would be full-time at least again. So I really wanted to get, keep that opportunity open. And that's that's what I did uh, in terms of training. Yeah, you know, yeah. Sometimes cut yourself some slack, really. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Sometimes, like the second session, then like sometimes you you wouldn't be able to fit it in, and because my focus was on on, on medicine at that point, that would be okay at that point. Yeah. Yeah, and then like going on to to the next few years, and um, you know, being now you've gone from like as you said, the the first Olympic cycle was really quick. Everything was kind of there for you and done for you and you just kind of were just kind of hanging on and, and keeping into it and now you're the you're the older person in the team you're the the one with the the wisdom and the knowledge and so what was it like changing roles into a, a leadership role in the in the crew and and taking on um uh, marika underneath, underneath your your wing and and yeah how was that dynamic different from your 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 other your other crews it's, it's totally flipped, really. Um, and I, I, it'd be fair to say that I also struggled a little bit with that because in 2016, I really still wasn't very experienced. And I had this big title uh, behind my name uh, that maybe like made people look different or have different expectations of you. Um, and I wasn't really there at that point in my career yet, basically. As in, it just as I just said, like it just happened to me. Um, so, yeah. So I wasn't really feeling as experienced as that title might have suggested. So it took me a little while to, to, to figure out what my new role would be um, and how I could best support the team and take on the young ones and um, give them the best opportunity to develop themselves and also just getting the best out of someone other than, than, than Micah that I was used to. Um, because uh, Mike is... is, is quite opposite to, to Mike in a, in a way. Um, and she needs different things and she, she like, like she thrives on different things. So it took me a while to figure all of that out. <laughs> and also like that's a, uh, you've, you've wrote in crew boats before, like it just takes a while to really get to know each other and to accept each, each flaw and each strength and, and make that work. I just, yeah, took a, in our case, took a few, a few years. Yeah, and I also find like the 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 double and the pairs, like the the, the boats with two people. You know, that's the relationship is quite intense because you know, like in an eight or four, there's quite a mix, and you know, you have a, a very definite leader stick up, and you have uh, your coach kind of keeping everyone in track, and the and the yeah. cocks and stuff. Yeah. Whereas in the pair or the double, it's 
it's a really tight relationship and do it, and then you have the coach. So there's not like a huge amount of moving parts and you know, you no. really have to find a, a good dynamic between the, the two people. Otherwise, you know, you that's where the magic is, that's where the, the boat speed is is kind of hiding, I always think. Oh yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. Like if if you you've got a crew that really wants to work for each other, you, you get some free speed. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so 2018, I mean, you guys, that was the first proper season you had with a new uh, new partner. And, you know, by all means, it was a very successful season. You put your uh, European champions and then you managed to uh, podium at every uh, world uh, rowing race that season. And then chat to us about world champs in 2018. The first world champs were with Marika and turned out to be quite a quite a hectic world champs. You come away with a bronze medal. Obviously, you know, it's 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 vastly different from, you know, being Olympic champion, but it must have been uh, actually a good feeling having a new combination that's also extremely fast. Um, and on, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, so ch- chat to us a bit about it and what that was like. I, I, I'd say uh, Marike was also like, as a, as a under 23 rower, especially in the single, she's, she was really used to, to winning medals. Um, so from the beginning, we really had this quite high expectation of, of the boat also of ourselves. So um, I'd say the medal was in our, in our line of vision and in our line of goals. Yeah, I would say I did my medical studies until May or so, or April this year. So really, like it felt more of like a hit and run that season than really being very well prepared. Mm. Uh, but honestly, very, very good learning experience because we did lots of racing uh, together, learned a lot. Um, and I'd say by the end of the year, we were really quite, uh, quite done <laughs> and tired. Mm. Is like if, if you're running a new combination, just some things are, are taking a bit more energy, um, and having to race at a high level uh, with high expectations of, of, of others and of yourself, then that takes a lot, takes up a lot of energy. Um, so I'd say at the world champs, like the best was we, we didn't say it's the best for last, but um, yeah, it was just trying out racing, trying out to figure out each other, and and um, yeah, working together. And then like throughout the seasons, is there are you guys spending a lot of time in singles, like racing each other, or is it most of the time focused on the double? And then what's the competition like bet- between the two of you? Um, there's actually three of us. We also have uh, Martina Feldhaus in the team. So we have uh, three lightweights uh, in a national squad. Um, and I'd say the, the winter season, we, we row singles a lot. We do lots of ergo work. Um, so it's a bit more individual focused. Um, and then we start rowing the double a little bit later in the season. As in, we, we do sometimes do outings in the double, but the main focus on is getting individual athletes up to strength, basically, um, while working together, obviously, and, and, and uh, getting the best out of each other every day. Um, but I say the double, it comes in a bit later. So, yeah, it's mostly singles and, and ergos and weight sessions during the winter. Okay. And then, like, the, the racing between you guys, like uh, when you do pieces and stuff, is that... Uh, yeah. Is it is it quite ferocious? It is, yeah. It's it's quite fun. As in, I I really enjoy a bit of competition. We also train with the heavyweights in the single, uh, and just racing each other down uh, in on the the river. Also, is where we train in the winter. It's just one of my favorite things. Um, just yeah, just finding that competition within each other and uh, getting the best out of each other is really quite fun. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, you know the competition. That's that's a big that's a big element of the of the rowing and especially in your yeah. team. You know, cultivating a, a winning culture, cultivating a winner's mindset. 
I feel like it begins with the competition that you have amongst your peers in in a team, and you know those yeah. those 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 you know those steady state sessions that get a bit out of control. I feel like those, even though it's not like pieces and stuff, I feel like those are a really good uh, character character building kind of session. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just getting in the hurt and like moving next to boats, staying in the group, especially if you're a younger athlete or you're a little bit slower, like actually trying to st- keep up with the top guys. I feel like that's that yeah. all of that yeah. has yeah. its place in the, in the the grander scheme of things. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It's also like it's also enjoyable. Um, mm. It makes many sessions more fun if you can just work together and work next next to each other. Do you, you also do you also row uh, small boats in in, in off season time? Yeah, I mean, our, our coach actually, our coach likes to put us all in singles, especially early in the season. So we do a lot of sculling um, at, the, you know, yeah, at the yeah. at the end of the year, you know, before this beginning of the the new year, we do a lot of sculling um, before yeah. we get into get into pairs. So there's a lot of competition in those boats, eh? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, our team is really small, so like the focus is usually uh, pairs and doubles and 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 sometimes and in the four, but yeah. the. The, the preseason stuff is always really exciting because you get to spend all this time in the single. And I mean, I think rowing in the single is absolutely mm. crucial for boat speed in any uh, boat class. You know, you, you have to yeah. be able to feel the single. You have to be able to have confidence in your ability before you can go into into a crew boat and, and build trust uh, with your team there. Yeah. And then we are also really nice. So sometimes our preseason is like the single and then the eight because we never row the eight uh, that much. So we'll often have like yeah. once a week, uh, the whole team jumps in the eight or, or you know, if there's enough yeah. two eights and, and we can uh, do some pieces against each other there, which is also just another feeling uh, kind of, you can just work on different aspects of rowing. And it's, yeah, I always think uh, different boat classes, different crews, uh, and you learn a lot uh, about yourself and about yeah. how to how to make the boat fast in, in different combinations. Yeah. Mm. Especially interesting that you do sculling and as a, as a sweet, sweet rower, you go into a single. That's a really interesting switch. Yeah, and I, I just really valuable, I <laughs> yeah, I think that you know, the, for me, the most important part about you know the single skull is you by yourself, and it's for us uh, the, when we get in a skull, it's almost like for me, there's way more that I need to work on in a skull than a sweep boat. So it's you know to put your mindset in a, in a place where you're constantly working on like some sort of basic things that you don't normally get in other places. Like that's, I feel like that helps a lot, and then also. There, there's certain things rowing in the skull that you can correct uh, e- or easier to correct or the mistakes that you are, are almost hidden in a, in a boat you're more comfortable with. But when you yeah. row in the skull, like it's way more apparent. So like, for example, if I often find in, in, in the sweep boats, like my rock over to checkpoint three or checkpoint three is like, it's all right. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's all right. But in the skull, it's terrible. So in the skull, I really have to focus on rocking over. And then when I get into a bigger boat, it actually that that change comes through, and it also it like it changes your mind, so you can work on that much easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, it's just you if yeah. you're in a single, like nowhere to hide. I recognize that. Mm, yeah. Definitely. And then, like going on Jake's point, actually, and it's 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 quite a cool theme that we have uh, in because we've interviewed a lot of people that have rode the double, like uh, the Sinkovich brothers, uh, Chetel oh. Borsch and Olaf and uh, Zoe McBride. And, you know, I find the doubles is one of the most tricky boats to get right because it's probably the easiest one to get up to like a decent level. You know, you can jump in with, with any partner and you can row and after, you know, a couple Ks, you, you're going to feel decent. But then to get like real speed mm-hmm. after that, I always find is really difficult because there's a lot of places to too hide almost like opposite to the single where it's like the, 
yeah, I always find the, the double quite a tricky boat to, to row. And what are the big takeaways for you, like to find that, like that final little bit of percent and the, the, the really small margins of, of gain in the, in the double? Interesting. Um, I'd, I'd say it's like, it's, it's personally really, I'd say, um, because you're only two of you, um, and there's no one else, uh, that you can, that can balance things out. You just need, need to focus on getting the best out of your partner, really. Um, making sure, um, that your fellow athletes is just comfortable, happy, um, being challenged in the right way. I'd say it's, it's really part of it's just working together. Um, and another part is also that just like in the boat itself, I'd say you, you obviously have like a stroke in the bow seat, um, and you've got assigned roles to those, but also just try and flip, flip that sometimes, um, and see if you can uh, row in another position, also have a different role and different uh, um, perspective on things. Um, sometimes really, really um, helps us also. Oh, I mean, I just love it. We can just talk about uh, rowing and different boat classes mm. for forever. But I think what we actually really need to, to, to move on to is uh, the dreaded 2020 year and, you know, the, the worst year in, in sport and Talk to us a bit about how that year went for you. Like, obviously, coming uh, coming off a second place in in 2019, you were quite ready for for 2020 Olympics, and you know, gearing up in March to to kind of take on the world. How was your prep going before uh, all the drama, and then how did you manage with the the adjustment? And on top of that, you have a whole layer of of being part of the the medical kind of world. So, so what was what was uh, 2020 like for you? Yeah, I think we all really want to forget that year. <laughs> As in, it just also feels like it. As if we just like skipped off the calendar, really. Yeah, I think because um, there was nothing, no events. Nothing happened in 2020. Yeah, so when uh, I think back to yeah. it, it just kind of, there's nothing there. Uh, we had a Europeans at the end of the year, yeah. but that was about it. Lucky you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really feels like it was a year in between um, that just disappeared and we just started again. It really does feel like that. As in just, you did the Olympic year again. Um and that, I think that was also the, the biggest challenge for me personally to make that switch because you go into an Olympic year and you with a different mindset than the year before, basically, as in everything you, you're, you're, uh, everything needs to be, um, on top. Like you need to be on top of everything. You want to do everything perfect. You're just way more focused. Um, and you can't, you can't do that for four years. So you, I'd say in my experience, this one Olympic year is just really quite intense. And then, that you have to do, you have to like gear up to do that, to do that again. <laughs> and that mindset switch of, uh, okay, I have to have to get back into that focus again. I think that was maybe one of the most difficult things. And how was like switching off? Like uh, when, yeah. obviously when they called the Olympics off, when they postponed it and, and you were kind yeah. of really on the, on the rise, that energy's up, it's Olympic year. How was coming, yeah. coming off that? I, yeah, I'd say like we, we all saw it coming at some point. Um, like in February or so, you, you heard about the first cases, but in March at that point, you like, I, I don't know how your experience was, but like you, you kind of saw it coming. So we had a few, few weeks of preparing for the moment. <laughs> um, and I'd say at the, the point that the Olympics were really, um, postponed also, it felt like a relief because we were still training, but you, we were basically, we were allowing, uh, we were within the rules, but you, it felt like you were going against the rules that were in place uh, to isolate and to stay at home. And so it, it really felt like a, a, a difficult um, 
combination of two things because you really wanted to prepare for the Olympics and do everything you could to to be at your best there. And on the other hand, you also wanted to be like, um, n- not forget about the whole pandemic going on and and do your like civil duties. I'd say it as a yeah. There's just really a big a big fight between the two. Yeah, at some point. it was um, really. Yeah really yeah. difficult i thought mm. i mean you know you came yeah. you're coming off we were we were up on training camp and we kind of saw europe or all those cases kind of starting to to really escalate and things starting to to get really worse and you know like yeah. it happened for us quite quickly i think like it was going from okay they there's there's the, the, the pandemic is coming or whatever and then suddenly it was like no like everyone is locking down the olympics are going yeah. off and and you know that yeah. happened quite quickly and then but just as you say it was really tricky that like transition where we had come home, we come to lockdown, but we're still training for the Olympics was really, really difficult. And yeah. and to make that transition and then to like completely switch off and now add a whole year to the to the timeline, I thought was was really difficult and took a long time to adjust, you know, like kind yeah. of you got this peak going, you got this energy rise and then now you have to yeah. kind of you yeah. can't hold that intensity for a whole extra no. year. No. So no. balancing that was 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 really tricky, but yeah, I think it's I think it's also going to at the end of the day make uh the Tokyo Olympics uh maybe a little bit more memorable, a little bit more exciting because there's going to be a lot more to to talk about, a lot more skepticism going in um about results and and about uh I don't know, speeds, boat speeds. Yeah, I think um that element of having 2020 as like a, a blank year and then like you don't know what you know don't know, you don't know what preparation your competitors have been doing and who's been dealing with it well, who hasn't been dealing with it well. So, you know, this year when, you know, as we start getting to events, like it's going to be, you know, it's going to be quite uncanny because you're going to be looking across at some people you raced against two years ago and suddenly yeah. this is the next time you're racing against them. So I feel like yeah. it's going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of talking points and I think it's going to be very exciting because I think a lot of, you know, there's going to be a big switch up uh, possibly in, in a lot of the hierarchies and in, in certain events. Yeah, absolutely right. I think also because... Um, countries had different lockdowns or different or still um, are limited in what they can do compared to other countries so yeah I'm, I'm in the end I'm hoping that the best will, will win basically and it won't be affected by the pandemic but yeah I'm, I'm quite curious to see how, how it will show in the results yeah and like oh, some really interesting things like we spoke to we, we've just done a, an episode with uh, Mai Drysdale and he speaks about how he doesn't think that, that New Zealand's going to race anything until the Olympics like they're going to stay in, in New Zealand yeah. race amongst themselves and then come through to, to Tokyo so yeah. like that's a whole nother dynamic that uh they're going to have to deal with, but so will the the rest of us have to kind of take into to consideration what kind of speed they have. And then I also was having such a cool uh, chat with a with an older rower, Jake Vetzel, one of our older episodes, and he was talking about how like older athletes, you know, they need the racing and like the training becomes like a little bit uh, monotonous for them and like they can become quite stale quite quickly and that they need the racing, whereas like the younger athletes might take this as like a a big advantage and and there might be that kind of dynamic shift in 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 racing so i think there's there's going to be a lot more talking points which is i think is quite cool but as you say i really hope that the the best athletes on the day uh that's that's who who Mm. gets the gets the the medal because but you know sport is is quite brutal and it's definitely not always uh, as fair as we want it to be no exactly it's like sport, sport is beautiful but also like in the midst of pandemic, in this pandemic, it's it's really unimportant in one way because mm. you, like, it's 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 
very ego focused. Um, you don't really help the world with it. Um, but I w- I'm really hoping that this Olympics will also be like a, a, a beacon of light, really. Um, that if, if, if the event goes through, and I'm, I'm really hoping it will be, that it will also be just like a celebration of, of, of beating the virus, basically, and this celebration of sports and, and, and sports community. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think I'm a big believer that like that sport just it's it's a huge bringer. Yeah. You know, it, it brings so much value to to yeah. our our culture and 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 what humans yeah. need. And you know, like yes, we might not be creating something or you know, it is an entertainment part of it, but it's it's yeah. really important. And you know, I always think it's uh, a good, especially when your country does well, is is like the most amazing feeling ever. Yeah. Mm. I would say like it gives gives lots of people lots of joy. <laughs> Yeah, and then on top of that, if we can use it as like a tool to to kind of show that oh we've we've taken the the the, the pandemic on and and we come through to the yeah. other side and it's kind of like a celebration of yeah. life going back to normal. I think that'll also be a, a very cool and and yeah and poetic ending to yeah, this whole really really awesome. mess. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I mean, just staying on twenty twenty, uh, Ilsa. So actually, you know, the way I'm thinking about you know you, you and your studies, it must have turned out, given you a chance to focus on your studies, and I'm presu- I'm assuming that that's proper that what kept you busy in twenty twenty. Um, I I wasn't really busy on studying, um, not in the first place because every um, like because the hospitals were so busy. Um, also for medical students, things were shut down for a little while, um, understandably, of course, because like the focus was somewhere else. Um, and so I didn't go back to my studies uh, necessarily. Um, I did I did do a little bit of volunteering um, in, a, in a nursing home for a couple of weeks um, that fitted in my, it, within my schedule, within my scope at that point. Um, and it, it was like, it was what I could do at that point. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the, there's been a, there's a few doctors on our team, uh, and some of them did uh, like did balls rowing and, and go back into the clinic for a little while. And I think that's really uh, really quite novel, honestly. As in, I uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, um, really a, lot, a lot of respect for that. I think for, I was I'm not qualified yet, so I'm I um, my help is limited in that sense. Um, but I did feel the necessity to do something. Of course, and obviously massive respect to those athletes and just all you know healthcare professionals worldwide for yeah. the you know the the frontline uh, soldiers in this uh, pandemic yeah. at the moment. Um, but then also getting getting back into 2020, speaking about the only rowing regatta that happened that year, European champs. I remember watching this regatta. I've been like, flip, just put me in, coach, put me in an event somewhere. <laughs> Yeah. I need a special de- special designation as a country to race at this thing. But anyway, chat to us a bit about that. It must have been awesome being back at the course yeah. and actually racing. Yeah. And that must have been such, you know, even if it was one event, but it must have been an incredible experience. Oh, yes, it really was. Sorry to make you even more jealous. <laughs> <laughs> That's not my no, but like, you can really feel the atmosphere at the regatta also. Like everybody was just really pleased to be there. There's no really big pressure on on uh on uh to do well it's just like we were all celebrating and we could row again and row against each other again so that, that there was really quite that atmosphere in the in the whole regatta and i made it really quite it was a really fun event um and uh yeah so it was really also just it was in october so it's a weird timing for you uh for regatta in 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 uh, anyways um 
but then also it was like it, it helped us through the summer really because you had this point in the calendar that you could work through and could have as a as like a short relatively short-term goal, goal to work towards so it was also it was yeah it was also really nice to to be able to work work towards something mm. yeah oh really cool and and then going into to 2021 how are you guys feeling for for this year and how do you think your your if everything goes uh, goes to plan how how does the the, the year look for you guys um, I'd say it's not in a disadvantage. Uh, it's a year delayed um, in the way that we haven't been rowing uh, together for too much, too long yet. Um, and also the season that we've done together have been a bit broken either by my studies or uh, Marika being injured last year, two years ago now. Mm-hmm. So I'd say having a full season together <laughs> and uh, just that that will also also work in our favor so i'm just really looking forward to building day by day and see how far we can go yeah and i mean this brings us to you know the end of our the end of our interview and with every guest on the show we have uh, the same set of questions they're called the quick fire questions they always get the best response and uh we are very excited to hear what you have to say Wait, I have one more question. Oh, one more question. Before we, before we get on to that, is it kind of can fall part of the, the quick fire questions, but uh, I want to know where you keep your uh, Olympic medal. Um, it's next to my bed, in a box. In, in its box. Before someone comes and steal it. But <laughs> the safest place possible, ladies and gentlemen, in a box next to your bed. Yeah, it's not on display or anything. It's just nightly tucked away, neatly tucked away. <laughs> I think no. I should hang mine over here. Where do you put, keep yours? I'm not. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> You're not going to say, say okay. that. <laughs> it's also in a box next to my bed. Okay. Um, no, it really is in my oh, bedside I see, table. Oh, I see in your bedside table. Yeah, Fantastic. it just lives there. Um, yeah. I, I could put it somewhere safer, I'm sure, but uh, at the end of the day, it's it's also you want to you want to have like if I go do a talk or if I if I do something with a, it's a yeah. bunch of school kids or something, then you want to take it with you. You want to show them. I think like it's. For me, that's what the most special thing about it is, is like being able to show someone and, and you like, you see the look in the eye and you're like, okay, well, that's kind of reminds you what you went yeah. through and, and, and what it actually means. Yeah, it becomes like, it, it, the medal itself becomes like a, an object, really. It's more of the memories around it, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Like, mine is also a bit damaged and things. Oh, but mine is badly damaged. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, yours is? Mine is badly damaged. It's been, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been okay. well yeah. used. Well worn. I think our medals bounce around in the party after <laughs> after the race. will have to yours. Yeah, actually, I think I remember because we went to to um, the Dutch house. I think after your yeah, the eights had had, had uh, got yeah. the bronze medal, and yeah, everyone yeah. was wearing their medals, and it was quite was, crazy. That so. was a good party, I must say. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was really awesome. Then the next, our first official quick fire question is. Oh, oh. Well, I, some of them are going to be quite easy, I think, for you. Like, uh, so the first one is, if you could race any boat class at the Games, uh, which boat class would you choose? I'm going to say Labo Double. Boring, huh? I, know. <laughs> I, I honestly think it's the most exciting event. No, I, I, I must say, I think I do agree with you there. Um, yeah. I, I think the lightweight, the lightweight events in general are tend to be the more exciting ones. Yeah, I mean, like light, spectator value. Uh, lightweight four, that was always uh, one of my top events. Yeah, um, yeah I think, uh, look, the lightweight double, and also you, you want to go back, you want to go in and uh, retain your title and stuff as well. Yeah. So there, there's also that element to it. Um, but I think 
fight might be different. I think watching the singles, just because it's like a man-to-man fight, yeah, mm. I really enjoy it. And also I love uh, seeing the AIDS race because yeah. it's just there's such an explosion of power. So yeah. if it's just watching a race, it would be different. But you've also <laughs> raced a lot of events. So you've raced the eights, you've raced the quad, you've, uh, yeah. yeah, so you've raced the single, you raced the double. So you, you can ha- kind of take your pick because you, you mm. kind of know what they, they all feel like. Yeah. yeah. So the next question is, if you could choose any three people from any time, any place, it's can completely open to your own interpretation. They can be athletes, non-athletes. If you could take any three people um, and put them in a quad, who would your three crewmates be? Oh, wow. Um, that's a difficult question. <laughs> this, this is not really like any any body or any crew specific because like there's been lots of brilliant crews in, in rowing history. Uh, that I really look forward to, but mostly because they're so brilliant in their own events. <laughs> um, so I'd say um, maybe just for fun, I would I would love to row a a, a uh, quad again with uh, former Dutch rowers, Lauren rowers, just because like some of them are still involved uh, in coaching teams also, uh, and just that would be a nice mix of uh, mix of uh, years, so to say. So uh, if if I pushed you to try put some names in those seats, would you be able to come up with three of them? I'd say yeah, I would. I would make it into five. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. You have three and then two on the bench. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I would choose uh, Mike and Marike, and then uh, the Lawe double from two thousand eight. And uh, yeah, I think I would do that. That's pretty cool. Then you can do like a big selection race and and actually see who's the fastest to go into <laughs> your quad. Yeah, <laughs> I, like. I think this is my competition me taking <laughs> over, honestly. But I think it's also just having such great memories racing the squad at a home ground. I think that's also what comes yeah. yeah. And they're all close to you guys, so it's not something that's uh, that far-fetched as well. Yeah. So the next question is, what is your favorite rowing race that you find yourself watching over and over again? And it doesn't have to be one of your races. It can be any rowing race. I'd like, uh, maybe the most plain answer would be, <laughs> The Olympic final race, I've seen that over and over again, but just not for myself, but it's like in different contexts. Um, it, this, it, questions are difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a C minus here. <laughs> no, there's, there's no right and wrong answers. Yeah, I mean, no, we, we've had uh, answers from like, you know, it's people's school years, and then we've had answers from like back way the back 90s, when the we, 80s. we can't even find the race that they're talking about yeah. or. Or you know the 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 big ones, what are the big ones? Uh, the men's pair from two thousand, uh, men's four from two thousand and four, uh, and yeah, there's there's yeah, people literally answer it like we don't often have the the same answer twice. No, I have to take care of this answer. But I'll have to think if it comes to mind. I'll tell you. Okay, okay. We'll come back to that's, it. At the end. That's that's fine. Yeah. Um, so the next question is: We always get fantastic answers to this, and it actually always opens up a great discussion. If you were in charge at World Rowing, what would you change? I'm glad I'm not in that seat, honestly, to having to decide most of these things. Yeah. Because, yeah, I'd say um, there's sometimes quite difficult decisions having to be made about like turning things into time trials and uh, things like that. So I, I really, I can't, uh, I can't really sit on that seat. But on the on the other hand, though. I would um, um, I would try and keep library rowing more alive. Yes, oh, I thought you were gonna go go with that one. Yeah, 
No, I yeah. must say I also. Yeah. I I second that. I think light rate rowing is is awesome, and like um, we're probably a bit biased because you know as South African rowers we have you know a special connection to light rate rowing. But honestly, I just think the 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 value you get from the spectators watching the race, it's insane. Like it's it's usually way tighter than heavyweight events. And what also like about lightweight rowing is often your your the people that do well change because of how close everything is. And often okay. in a lot of events, the people that do well are you know constantly winning all the time. Whereas in lightweight rowing, a lot of the time someone will win that hasn't won before. There's a there's a good rivalry going on. And then I also think like in in lightweight rowing, it also opens it up. There's a lot of different countries that win races in lightweight rowing. You know, it's not. Uh it's not always as straightforward as like the the big uh, the big countries. Um, yeah, it often opens yeah. it up to 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 more countries, which is also kind of what sport is about as well. And also, I guess just for a role as a role model, really, as in if if you you are not maybe not as 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 tall and as wide as a as a heavyweight row, you can still enjoy enjoy the sport and see examples of of yeah of you basically yeah mm, definitely <laughs> also growing it, it, i think it would keep more people uh to the sports and not exclude no definitely i i agree with that yeah i think so as well i think that's a that's a great one and especially if you're going to change lightweight rowing for coastal rowing then please let's uh <laughs> yeah. let's be real <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on, <laughs> so the next question and actually this time we have yep. the roster so lawrence has been in the labs I've, I've been in the labs i've been looking at uh so the question is uh the one that everyone wants to know what is your your 2k time uh on the on the on the ergo and usually we just ask the question, but now I've gone through all the history of our of our race of our interviews, and I've got the the ladder up. And it's not going to be as exciting today because we only have one lightweight woman's time up on our on our sheet. Um, but yeah. you can tell us, and we'll tell you where you where you fit in on the on the sheet. Okay, okay. My uh, my PB is six fifty seven. Oh, oh. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic! Close. <laughs> it's so close. <laughs> So and also, also just to say that the other person that we spoke to is Zoe McBride. Yeah, you mentioned her already, so I was quite interested, honestly. So, <laughs> so you fit the fastest lightweight, uh, lightweight woman on our on the on the row show at uh, just one, just just pipping uh, Zoe by one second. Yeah, she got a six fifty eight. Ah, okay. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> but we did speak to Zoe about two years ago, so yeah, yeah we might have to do it up there. But we don't know. No, no, the the, the yeah. results stand. The results stand. <laughs> the results are as they are on the sheet. The last question is: If you had to choose a different sport to go to the Olympics, and what would your sport be? Uh, cycling. Cycling. That was a quick. Oh, that actually makes a lot of that sense coming that. from the yeah, Netherlands. That was a quick yeah, no, I really enjoy riding my bike um, outside. Uh, I do that as a, it's a big part of my training. Um, and I would say in a, in a different life, I would, would have uh, chosen cycling. And then which, uh, yeah, which, which discipline and, which discipline and which event would you would you be focused on? Oh, that's a good question. I, I really I, uh, like the idea of like having uh, 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 tour stages. So having a, a more stage race. I think that'd be really fun. Okay. <laughs> because rowing is obviously always like it's it's just like you've got a preliminary and a semi-final and then a final, but it's never just like different events with different uh, distances and different yeah, challenges. Yeah, like sprint stage yeah. and mountain stage yeah, and, like, and uh, yeah. yeah. I've been doing sprints, but 
So do you guys cycle? Because I know you guys do a lot of cycling. Do you cycle through the whole season? Or is there a time of the season where they, because they, like for us, they, they don't want us to cycle when we start getting uh, close to like racing season because uh, our chance of injuring ourselves is, becomes uh, too much of a risk. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it really depends also on, on where you live, really, because I think, let's say cycling in the Netherlands is relatively safe because all of like there's lots of cyclists around. Mm. Um, but it's probably one of the a few places I would I would dare to cycle <laughs> during racing season. Um, so I, I, I yeah I, I see why you wouldn't do it, but we do it all, all year round okay. except when it's really snowy and cold and ice. But then. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, we, we've spoken to Mahe Drowsdale and we also spoke to Eric Murray and I must say the amount of cycling accidents between the two of them with Hamish as well it's it's too many to, yeah. to count it feels like it's a it's a lucky charm to crash your bicycle a couple of weeks before you go into the Olympics yeah because yeah. Eric well, and yeah. Hamish have done it and and Mahi yeah. so yeah. Yeah. rite and, of passage for my, New Zealand my my, my uh, doubles partner in 2016 yeah. did it all oh. <laughs> Like six weeks before Olympic qualification or something. Oh. Seven weeks. Yeah. And it's like, it's so. so tricky because like, there's not like a, I don't know. It's, I find it like very difficult when you go cycling to like say, oh, I'm going to be extra careful. You know, there's not really a good correlation between like how careful you're being. And, and it's, uh, it really is a big luck element of, oh, uh, yeah. of coming off the bike. Well, yeah, it's, it's luck. And just like, I'd say for me, it's no, when I'm very tired, mm. I shouldn't be cycling because then you just do stupid things. So you need to you need to be able to uh, to stay sharp, and react onto your surroundings. Otherwise, you better just sit on an ergo and be safe. Mm. <laughs> and then when you go cycling, are you cycling? Because I know um, uh, Marika, I mean, Marika does it quite a lot as well. So do you yeah. guys cycle together a lot? Sometimes, yeah, yeah. We um, we're about to go on a training camp actually okay. <laughs> tomorrow morning. Oh, awesome! Uh, we're going to Spain, and it's 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 an altitude camp. We mostly do like uh, cycling trips there, also with the whole uh, women's uh, team. So we we do cycles. We ride together often, um, but also do our individual things. But it's it's for both of us. It's a big part of training. That's yep. so awesome. That's awesome stuff. So yeah, that brings us to the end of the interview. Uh, <laughs> At the, now that we've gone through everything, is are we going to decide on the the world rowing race, or are we just gonna call it on the the 2016 lightweight double final? Yeah, let's call it on that one. It's a safe one. Okay, I'm sorry, going. I can't be more, uh, no, no, no straight. That's a very good race. That is a good race. I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think just yeah. a just a huge thanks from us. Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a big chunk of your time, and uh, I know it's. Uh, it's it's long and and uh, but it's just been really awesome to chat to you and uh, get your insights in the sport and you know it's always special and we always get such amazing feedback from uh, from the listeners uh, after we put out the episodes so yeah just a huge thanks yeah well I think you're doing something special all right thanks. you're making uh, putting in the effort to do your own podcast is really uh, yeah really good good for the sport good for, good for your listeners and really interesting yeah. Yeah, no. So thanks for inviting me, as you say. Of course, of course, it's it's been awesome, and all the you know all the best with uh, this year coming. I hope the training goes well, and I, I really hope that we we can see each other overseas, you know, at a regatta, and yeah. uh, ha actually have some events happen this year. Yeah, it'll be really yeah. awesome. Yeah, hope so too. All the best for you, uh, your training and racing also. All the best. All right. Cool. Cheers. Thanks so much. Cheers. <laughs>
lightweight double rower and what an awesome episode i'm sure you guys love that thing it was such a bang i wish we could have spoken to her for a little bit longer there was a few more things that we definitely could have snuck in but you know all in all what an awesome episode anyone any big takeaways for you jake yeah i mentioned in the introduction i i really enjoyed just listening to her speak about the build up to rio and and i i said earlier that she wasn't the favorite going to the race and I think she had a fantastic performance. A lot of the guests we've had on the show, we've spoken about performances that really rise to the occasion and kind of, you know, you, you look back at those um, in, the, in, you know, in the past and those things stand out. And for Ilsa, that's definitely one performance in Rio that was fantastic and everything that led up to that. It was just interesting to listen to, to her speak about it. And of course, that's why we do the podcast is get those stories out there. Definitely. And oh man, I can't wait to see what they do at the Tokyo Olympic Games later on in the year. So we're rounding up to racing season. There's definitely some racing coming up uh, shortly. We got, uh, we know we got European champs. Uh, we got a late, late qualification for the Olympic Games and hopefully there'll be some World Cups and racing coming up there. So uh, if you guys uh, hopefully will be putting out some, some more hype trains, some more regatta madness. And if you want more content, head over to our Patreon because that's where we're going to be doing some even extra episodes, especially around uh, the Regatta Madness and Hype Trains. We're going to have guests on the on the show from our Patreons and we're going to really uh, get into it there. So if you want more rowing content, go listen there. Uh, and otherwise, just share the show. Let your friends know about it. Help us grow. And I think that's it. Yeah, that's it, guys. Stay healthy out there. Um, see you next time. Sweet. Cheers, guys. We're out. Um, what race did I enjoy most? These questions are difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I still can't tell you one big race. So we just need to get back to our questions here. So the know them off by heart by now, Jake. You would think that, but you know my memory is terrible.